Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Do, 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 do. There's the intro music. This is another episode of Don't Die. Chuck is recovering from hernia surgery on this great New Year's Day, so he won't be here, but Mike Mart filling in, producer, engineer, parent, guitarist, junkie, Mike Mart, how glad, are you? Glad to fill in. I'm how? glad to be alive, glad to fill in. I am really with, glad to be alive. When with one of my best friends, and I'll get this off my chest so everybody can hear this right what? now, is that... Um, the thing that you don't tell everybody usually when you tell a story about me getting kicked out of the Thelonious Monster and all of our years of all this stuff is that Bob is my champion. Bob has always, always championed me and was always the one that stuck up for me in the band. And, and like I had kind of a rough time at Christmas, you know what I mean? I had that like my broke a hard drive and I was like <laughs> everything was just like falling apart. And I swear I had to come out here to Bob's and, you know, and to kind of solace and everything like that and um, get away from everything. And and it was great. And I thank you, Bob, for being my dear friend and uh, my champion. I love you, Mike Mark. Oh, I love you. you. Thank you like very much. No other. And, the, and a lot of you, I know there's a lot of people living in, living in Huntington listen to this because I see the emails from people. A lot of the... The old L.A. Brigade have grown up, and they're sober, and they're working in treatment, a lot of them, or their parents, or they're Trumpers. Some of them are Trumpers, and I mm, love them anyway. okay. A-Rab, hey, right. I fucking love you, brother. Right on, man. Right on. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know. But really, what we're all trying to do is, I don't think any of our generation planned on living this long. This is all fucking new territory. Yes. I definitely did not plan on being 56 years old. There, there was no long-term game plan in the punk rock movement. I don't, I don't, yeah. And we've all just tried, had to make it up as we go along. And I see, I just, you can disagree with my politics or disagree with my parenting or disagree with my version of AA or whatever, but we're all brothers and sisters. You have to love Who grew up that, yeah. in the 80s trying to make our way in this world and... And I just love you, and I'll always be your champion. You're one of the greatest songwriters I've ever heard. That includes Bob no, Dylan or anybody. You, Bob. And you're your own worst enemy. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I am. And man, when I, every time I'm going to tell you something, and I love Steve too. He's a little older than us, a little different generation. But every time I see a Steve Earl album come out, I think Mike Mart's better than that. I really well, do. I and I know to, you don't like competition uh, and songwriting I and would, all that. You know, you win some... Listen, everything is competition. There's one and, thing. That, and people don't want to admit it's competition. When Anthony wrote Under the Bridge, I was like, game, set, match. He fucking wins. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was a great... It, was, it is a great song. And, you know, I'll ha I have a quote from Steve Earle. I told Steve Earle one time, I said, I'm a songwriter. You know? And he said, did you write a song today? And I said, no, I didn't write a song today. And he goes, well, today you're not a songwriter. <laughs> so so uh, that's where all his bad songs come from. He writes a song every he day. He writes and writes and writes and writes. That's, and that is a success, so, successful solution, you know? So Well, that's one way of doing things. There are some writers. I am not like, prolific. Like him I think it's Henry Miller. I can write a good song, but he can write like 20 good songs to my Songwriting to me is just the new version of novel writing. It, it just, everything got more and more fast-paced and condensed. So there are writers that get up every morning and write. Like, like I think Hen Henry Miller was like that. I think I think uh, uh, Joan Didion was is like that. But then there are other writers that only write when they have to write. Like Raymond Chandler. Are you going to say that Joan Didion and Henry Miller are better writers than Raymond Chandler? No, they're all different styles of writing and different ways of being a writer. And there is no rules to songwriting. Bob Dylan, I've seen him write a song. He goes into a notebook he's had for 20 years and looks at a line and then just sits down and builds a song about around a line that he wrote 30 years ago. Yeah, and, and Peter Case is the same kind of thing. You know, Peter Case can just sit down and, I mean, he can do, the, his songwriting seminars are awesome. 
and he can just sit down and look around the room and say, you know, there's a flagpole, there's a um, speaker, and there's a vent, you know, and talk about this and write a song. You know, I, it's a, it's amazing. How Peter Case is amazing. Let me tell you something. You know what Million Miles Away is about? Uh, I'm more interested in what songwriters wrote the song about or what inspired the song. Darby, Peter got the news that Darby Crash had died. And he drove around L.A. This is a story he told me. And he was drunk when he told it to me, so I don't know whether it's true or not. Right. Could but, be a lie. But could be a, good, <laughs> could be a really good mythological lie about a song. But Million Miles Away is about Peter feeling like that whole world is over now. Oh, Darby yeah. Crash is dead. and Because what people don't understand about Peter Case and the Plimsolls, and if you know your power pop history, is Peter Case and the Nerves were the first band to play with the germs. They were the nu- they were a part of the nucleus of that And they Los never Angeles get the credit for it. It's shit. so weird like how certain mm. people make themselves into the histories. I I've watched the history of like uh indie rock, the part of the thing we were a part of. I've seen who came out and acted like they were the leaders of it, like Steve exactly. Albini. I never met the I met the guy like twice. He he had nothing to do with LA. He had nothing to do with with anything all of a sudden he's the spokesperson for the 80s punk rock indie rock movement right it's almost like the the musical how did he become the guy yeah it's almost like the musical <laughs> wallflowers the people that were just like in the background watching or producers or big black was yeah, good but to me al jurgensen abs- in chicago was way more a part of what was going on in the zeitgeist of the energy of the indie rock movement than than Steve Albini. But then Albini has access to Kurt Cobain, and then that's how you become a leader of a thing. Another thing that was interesting in the paper today, the Misfits did a reunion, first time in 30 years. Did you see this? With Glenn Danzig. So I'm reading the review, and I I saw them on a warm-up show about six months ago with Elvis. Right, I took Elvis to see Dan, uh, uh, Misfits. You nice. <laughs> <laughs> and and Ministry. Well, it's like a cartoon <laughs> band, you know. So they were warming up. They were great. It was great. But so now they played the Forum on New Year's Eve, I guess, or some day this week, the thirtieth. And I'm reading the review, and it says uh, celebrities that were there were Greg Hetson of Circle Jerks and Bad Religion, Fred Amundsen from Portlandia. And Josh Klinghoffer. And I love, I love, I love Greg and Josh, but they're not like people you think of like, they're like Scarlett Johansson or something. (laughs) (laughs) And then I started seeing, so then I Googled the Fred Armisen guy because I don't know him, but I know that TV show or whatever. He was a musician, I guess. Right. Right. And now he's become a spokesperson for indie rock in the 80s because he's now a famous comedian. It's so, all writers. It's writers that, that just you know that just pen this stuff and make it up, and they, they make feed it, up. it. They feed it to the people. I'm going to tell the truth of how I saw it right now. There's a thing that everybody knows about. It's still going now called Lollapalooza, right? It was Anthony Kiedis's idea. <laughs> it was his idea. He's the one. He's a very strong personality, and because he's so famous now, people don't. You know, anytime you talk about him, you're like talking about a celebrity or something. No, I was there. He, we were doing a lot of cocaine, and he kept saying, "Why is it that you play with Dream Syndicate or whatever, and you're in those? You you're lumped in with those types of bands, and we always have to play with funk bands. Why is it that just bands don't play together?" He right. used to grind away on that. He didn't like that. So we did that Best of the West tour that I think you were on for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, you were on it. Yeah. You weren't in the band, but you I were don't know. On <laughs> we did the Best of the West tour, and that was the idea of three bands that don't go together Fishbone Ska, Thelonious Monsters, Garage Rock, Chili Peppers, and Punk Funk. They don't go together. And that yeah. was where Perry got the idea of like, put a bunch of bands that don't go together. Really? Yeah. And it's I all based on it. cocaine, too. Yeah. Cocaine had a lot to do with the ideas of the 80s. Right. And the circus, the atmosphere was was a lot of a Perry's. Stuff. But so I thought we'd talk a lot about what, what were the great things of 2017. A lot of people talking about the bad things of 2017. I've never seen something, you know, when they go down with a year, 
Like it was all negative. Everything that happened in 2017 was negative. There was some great magical things that happened. Everybody's so focused on Trump. Trump just really gets under the skin of a lot of people. Yeah, let's just not even He's talk about that retard. negative. He's a retard. Why do you even pay attention to him? You know what not I mean? even go there. Because that has to be the worst part of But So I'm more interested in the people who hate him rather than him. Right. So so now everything now in 2018 we're gonna live in Valhalla where just every all the liberals just run everything and we're gonna roll through the election and like <laughs> <laughs> and I keep saying to everyone who will listen you know that Donald Trump is president and Roy Moore lost by a narrow margin in narrow, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, things are different. What the fuck is all of a sudden there's this liberal? Like, I've been a liberal my whole life since I was 11, but I am under no misnomer that everything's going to be liberal from now on because we say so. You know what I mean? Is this this positive about 2018, negative about 2017? I want to tell you one of the most magical moments in my entire life. In my entire life happened in 2017. I have it on video. Every time I relive it, I cry. It was the most beautiful thing. And it's about songwriting and art and appreciation and family and kids. So we were at Coachella. And there's this guy playing Father John Misty. He's a friend of Pete Weiss's, right? Yeah. And... I'd read about him. I I, heard, I had his first album and it had like 40 songs on it. It's hard when somebody releases a 40 song album. Get them like, all. What are you supposed to do in. with yeah, that? At least like two or three. So five, I got five. the first album. I had it on. This is like five years ago. I had it on, off and on. I liked it. And, and he's a folk singer and I like folk music. And the, he was clever and he was interesting. So, so, you know, when you got kids at Coachella... You just go when the naps are in and when things are... And then you look and see who's playing. You don't say, oh, you know, Beyonce's playing. I'm going to gear the eating and the naps and the moods of the kids to that. No, you when the kids are in the right mood and they napped, you can go to Coachella yeah. and see whatever's playing. You try and plan and they'll <laughs> screw you. <laughs> yeah, don't they'll, try they'll to just, plan. They'll just screw you. You'll have plan. a screaming, miserable kid at Coachella. And your plan will go to So shit. we just let Sid nap... Everything was mellow. We're just sitting by the trailer and whatever. And and then we went over to Coachella and the sun was going down. And this guy played. And I was not planning to go see Father John Misty. This guy played a song called Pure Comedy off his 2017 album. The sun was going down. My kids were dancing together. I was sitting on the lawn. It was the most beautiful thing that has ever happened. And and this song called Pure Comedy, if you have not heard this guy, Father John Misty, and the song Pure Comedy, you have missed out on on something equal to any great art. It It is the perfect synopsis of life in the new millennium. You've got to hear it, Mike. Oh, yeah, I want to hear it. Comedy. And it's just like, it just, he's the greatest songwriter going right now, Father John Misty. If you can, check out Father John Misty. Now, about recovery. There's another exciting thing going to happen in 2018, Mike, and I know you're not in the industry, you're not aware of it. A lot of rehabs are going to go under. I kind of am now. You are now. I am now. A lot of rehabs are going to go under. Okay. Right? And... The the one it's going to separate out the people that are in it for, you know, good reason, better reasons than just profit. I think it's a good thing. It's going to purge everybody. The problem is a lot of our listeners are treatment professionals who work in treatment, and are going there's not going to be as many jobs. Yeah. So what I want to use this platform through this year is to how to encourage you to entrepreneur what what i did now listen i'd still be working for 25 dollars an hour making millions of dollars for a hospital if i hadn't gotten fired yeah you know what i mean people need to realize like you're stuck and you're safe and comfortable but there's greater opportunity for you i didn't realize that until i got so i didn't have a job sure i figured like what the fuck am i gonna do and what I did was I called people that I really looked up to and liked, like this woman, Sheila Balkin and Harold Owens and, and um, uh, uh, David that runs Promises and, 
and um, David Sack, and and I went and I just pounded the pavement and I tried to you know ask people you know what should I do and people were saying well no rehab's going to employ you like I remember okay. David Sack told me that and I was like whoa and I drove home from the Rose Cafe in Venice and I was almost crying I was like. And, and for some of you that don't know, but, but we, me and Dr. Drew have been crucified in the media because we did a TV show and then patients died in our care, right? Right. So no rehabs wanted to employ me. So okay. it's very similar to what our listeners are going to go through when there are no jobs to go get a, a counseling job at a rehab center because there's going to be so, so many less rehabs by the end of 2018, yeah. right? So there's the there's lots of different opportunities one is the courts because i have a feeling this legalization of pot is really going to create a, a complicated court situation sure the yeah. best example is a bunch of kids have asked me this before legal marijuana when there was this medical marijuana cards kids were asking me hey bob so if i get pulled over stone do i just show them my medical marijuana card and i was like dude you can't drive stoned it's what are still you against the law. About? <laughs> it's still against the law. So what I'm thinking is, there's going to be a lot of stone driving going on. Right. And there's going to be a lot. And 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 understand, the state of California is going to want to make some money off of this. So they're going to start arresting people stoned on pot, just like they arrest people drunk. It's going to be a boom in the courts. They don't really arrest people that are stoned yet. They haven't. They've been waiting for today. Today is January first. What do you do? Breathalyze them? They're going to come up with some sort of test. I mean, you can't. You know, how stoned are you? Do you have to be like one percent stoned? (laughs) Look it up. Two percent. I'm telling you, there is a whole thing in Sacramento ready to roll out. Just as you can smoke marijuana anywhere you want today on January first, two thousand eighteen. There's a whole system of CHP and cops that are going to be looking for stone drivers and arrest them. How in the fuck is that going to work? That's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because there'll be a test that they can do, a a field sobriety test. There has to be. How? I mean, how? Like, I just, I guess, are they going to, you know what they're going to (laughs) do? What are some of the things they could do? They're going to measure the redness of the eye. (laughs) No, no, ask them if they want want a candy bar. (laughs) Yeah. How many candy bars could you eat? Oh, he ate like eight, man. He was really stoned, Your Honor. He was so stoned, Your Honor. The man was so stoned. So I have a feeling there's just going to be tons of alternative sentencing, uh, uh, opportunities in 2018 and 2019 as more and more people can just smoke weed anytime they want, anywhere they want, all the time. This is such a great, like, <laughs> Cheech and Chong, like, type of thing, you know, is, in California. Be, I've been be spotting it for years. When somebody's going, like, when, like, a young person in their 20s, 20 going, miles like, an hour. Yeah, like, 28 miles an hour yeah. down the street. And old ladies are passing them up. I'm like, that dude is stoned. Stoned out of his So the cops are going to be arresting people for pot. I'm pretty sure. For stone driving. For sure. Because there's so many billions of dollars to be made. The state is in the business of making money. So that's what all the DUI stuff is about. They're going to figure it out. Yeah, it's going to be 10 grand to get. It's 10 grand to get uh, once you make it through your first DUI. You have to go to classes. You got to go to court. You got to pay all the fines. You got to do all this. You got to get a lawyer. You got to do that. You got a drug alcohol test. You got to you got to go to drunk driving school. After all is said and done, on a first offense for DUI of alcohol, it's about between five and seven grand. Second one's like ten to fifteen grand, right? Yeah. So, do you think these kids are going to stop smoking pot after they get one DUI pot thing? They're going to smoke pot for the rest of their lives. This is going to be a multi-billion dollar alternative alternative sentencing uh, 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 industry. And so the counselors who are going to lose their jobs as their shitty corrupt rehab centers you work in go bust, you're going to have to figure out some way in the court, some way to work with a law firm like I did. I worked with a law firm for years when I first left rehab. And you get two or three cases and you, you know, you get paid for court appearances, you get paid a retainer, and it's just as much as working in rehab. And literally, 
I mean, when I was at my height of doing alternative sensing, I'd maybe have four clients. I'd work like eight days a month, and I made twice as much money as I did running a rehab. Wow. Because yeah. here's the thing about it. If, if, you know, people pay lawyers like five grand to get them out of a DUI, all they got to do is appear. People are so scared of jail, Mike. Yeah. It's so, unbelievable I, what they'll pay to not have to go to jail. Is, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm I'm saying there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities going to come. So if you lose your job or your rehab goes bust, don't get discouraged. Um, and and other things that I think are going to change are that that the rehab centers are going to get better because the ones that remain are going to have to go in network. It's called so they're it's not a, it's not going to be this huge profit driven industry anymore. By the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, it'll all be back to the way that it was, right. which is you don't want to be here. Get the fuck out of here. It's not going to be all profit driven. There's going to be no patient pay placement fees. There's not going to be all this optimization on the Internet because there's no huge millions of dollars to make. Right, the person that's using in the in the uh, in the rehab is it going won't to be, be tolerated. It won't be tolerated. Yeah. So people, are, it's going to go back to the way that it was. I'm optimistic about instead of like, oh, it's okay, just stay. You yeah, can, just you know, stay. We'll just turn. We'll just yeah, turn just our backs. Stay. Go ahead and sneak that dope in. <laughs> no. Well, you, you, well, get three, I, you, you know, get I've been guilty times. of it. See, you're innocent because you know. No, working. I snuck so dope I into, no, rehab, into the no, world. but I mean of profiting off it. So what I came up with was listen. If you use again, you can't just, nothing can happen. You know what I mean? Because that's what's, what's happening at a lot of the rehabs, right? Yeah, turn your back. It, yeah, turn your back. I said, well, you have to go to a higher level of care, right? And at first, when I had my place in Hollywood, I said, you have to go to cry help for 72 hours. Oh, yeah. No, that was 72 great. hours. That's great. That's a great idea. 1150 bucks they were charging Yeah, you, get, you, want to, you want to sneak some shit in? Go to a different, go to a no, place. No, they that, butt search you at cry help. Yeah. Get your Do you know that? They tell you they, no, they, well, they don't go in, <laughs> but they make you spread your cheeks through your butt. Oh, it's, my God. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, that happened to me in Smog in New in in uh, Norway. We got to, we, we got to. cavity search <laughs> going into really? Norway. We were just laughing, going, "Oh my God, Smog!" They have gloves on. Oh yeah, we were in the same room too. We were in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> we were just like, like, oh my God. Here's an interesting song uh, song writing thing. The song's "Nothing's Perfect" by. Phonies Monster that yeah. you and I wrote that okay. it's a very popular song. I think it's one of the best songs we ever wrote. Um, it's about smog. Oh, nice. You didn't mm. ever knew that, did you? I don't because you were so. high and he was sober. He had gotten sober, and then yes. and I had gotten sober, and then I was high again, and he was going. He was sober for longer periods of time, and he and I hung out a lot in that era right before stormy weather, and. That's a friend of mine's half four years. He was high for most of his life. Two and two never equaled four. Two and two always equaled five. Well, Smog did a weird thing where he had like a bunch of tiny, like nine years, and then when he went out, he never even drank a beer or anything. He just shot dope. Really? Yeah. He right off the bat? Yeah, just like John Nobin didn't, you know, no, no beer, no alcohol, and came back in. So he still hasn't drank. In 25 yeah, years? Yeah, something like 25 years. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, so that, uh, that nothing's perfect. I always think about him when I think of that. He was yeah. living off Fountain in La Brea. He lived there for a long time. Did he? Yeah. That's a weird place to live. I'll tell you another funny thing about Fountain in La Brea. So when Steven Adler became like, Guns N' Roses was like number one and huge hit. And Steven and I were f friends or whatever. He tells me, next time I see you, Bob, I'm taking you out to dinner. I'm taking you out to fancy dinner. And I was like excited because like I'm still struggling living there on Fountain. Yeah. And Stephen Adler, Guns N' Roses, is gonna take me out to a fancy. And he said lobster dinner. I'm gonna oh take you to steak and lobster. <laughs> and I was like, fuck yeah! I saw him at Canners or something. And I was like, god damn! How do I get a hold of you to go to this steak and lobster dinner? Yeah. So then he calls me up and he goes, I'm taking you out. Let's go. And so we go and he takes me to Sizzler on fucking Island. <laughs> he takes me to Sizzler. <laughs> that was his version That's of fancy. That's great. 
That was Stephen Adler's version of fancy hey, dinner. Fancy Steak dinner. and lobster. That's fancy. At Sizzler on Highland and Fountain. Yeah, that's got to be I thought we were going bucks. to like the <laughs> Ivy or something. <laughs> he goes, he would pull up. He goes, he's got the rails there. And he pull up and he goes, get anything you want. On oh, me. Yes, on me. Oh, my God, that's funny. Like he's got, he made like $10 million yeah. on him. <laughs> and that's a that's a that's the start of your friendship. It's the start of a lifelong friendship. <laughs> yeah, I clung that. to him for those Sizzler dinners. Oh my god! So there was a supermarket right there by on on Fountain, and we used to jump over the rail with a twelve pack after two o'clock in the morning. We used to oh jump. yeah, boys market. Yeah, exactly. Like boys, and, and and then we did it like twice. And then they uh, put this big, they had this guy that was waiting. When he, uh, just, just, oh, he to chased, catch you? Yeah, yeah. He chased us all the way down the street into the car. We had to young drop guy, the ship. Young guy? Yeah, he was going to beat the fucking crap out of us. <laughs> I had to drop all the beers and jump in the car and take off. That was my tinfoil market. You were waiting for me. That was my tinfoil market. I remember I went there. You know how you're a little bit too coked out, but you have some heroin, but you don't have any tinfoil? You ever been in that mode? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. So... So like one o'clock in the morning, I go, I get up the nerve because I've been doing crack all day. I get up the nerve to go to the market to get the tinfoil. And then you're all paranoid. Like I'm just buying tinfoil. I'm going to have to buy other things, but I didn't have enough money to buy other things. I'll get some chore boy. <laughs> tinfoil and some chore toilet boy. paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some toilet paper or something. Uh, so, so I go and I, you know, and I have my, I used to always wear sunglasses even at night and yeah, whatever. And yeah. I just got... And I go into the tinfoil and I go to grab the tinfoil and there's another person there and I don't want to look at him. And, and then I realize they're getting tinfoil and I look up and it's my friend Mark Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and he lived in La Brea and Hollywood Boulevard. You should have went in on the tinfoil. Let's split it. No, but he had dough. Oh, so I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? And I went over to his house. Uh, and I still had the heroin at my did. house. Yeah. <laughs> Of course you did. Those are the days, Michael, nineteen eighties. Oh man! So what I was gonna do is, I love the Google search. I was gonna Google search our greatest year of heroin use was uh, for me was nineteen eighty eight. So and that was thirty years ago to to two thousand eighteen, right? If you Google anything with the drug references, all the rehabs come. I know. Up. Remember you said, remember we were talking about the drug songs, drug. Uh, drug. Uh, yeah, anything. Research, you anything do. research it comes up uh, with uh, rehab after rehab, and anything with the word heroin. So yeah, heroin yeah. addiction hotline. But if you go past all the paid things, you can get to uh, crisis. Okay, I went to rehab, started recovery. Somebody went to rehab the same year as me in some Vice magazine article. Right. Anyways, I got you. Got to go way down to finding drugs in New York City. All right, let's look at this. Uh, in the 50s, yeah, it's all monopolized by rehab centers. Isn't that crazy? It is. So in 86, here's a good one. This will have the New York Times. 86, there was, you know, just a minimal amount of drug addicts. Okay, okay, here you go. In, in 1974... Only 650 heroin addicts died in, in, in New York City. Oh, my God. Only 650. <laughs> I bet that number is in, in the tens what? of thousands. 1974. Right. And, and then the 80s. Try 84. So 74 to 84, the number of heroin addicts in the United States rose to, from 242,000 to 558,000. So when we became heroin addicts, there were only half a million heroin addicts in the United States. Huh. We were an elite, now they're an about, elite group. They're, yeah. And now there are about 20 million. That's insane. I it's just can't insane. even comprehend it. I can't comprehend it. And people people think we're just like spouting this off, you know, like it's like it's something like, oh, well, what? It's always been the same. It has not always been the same. The number of addicts grew about 172,000 in 1980, 198 by 85. So, so it was only growing like 200,000. 150 to 200,000 more heroin addicts a year from right. from 80 to 85. And there were only 558,000. That's crazy that there's 20 million now. That's crazy. Yeah. So 
it's well you think about like the movies and so like the like panic and needle park you know where where it was just a handful of junkies and they were all in needle park you know yeah. in new york it was, yeah, no, he, it was a handful. You knew where they were. You yeah. couldn't recognize them on the street. Yeah, and when we used to go to New York, like back in the eighties and stuff, we knew exactly where to go, and and, and uh, we saw the same people, the same people year after year, every time we went back on tour. Same I'm, people out out there scoring dope. Now I'm doing it for today. How many opiate addicts in the U.S.? Twenty million. Twenty fucking million opiate addicts in the United That's States. Insane, man. That's crazy so here's my thing about the new year that's infected all the states so that's what i was gonna say so so you gotta understand that but heroin is its own separate drug it's separate than alcohol separate than stimulants separate than pot it is its own thing it is the pandora's box of drugs so now 20 million people i just look at like invasion of the body snatchers they've been taken over by whatever you want to call it, the dark side or opiate addiction. The pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical well, stuff. They're the, ones that, they're the ones that exposed it, but they don't really understand opiate addiction the way that junkies do. There is no way to get 20 million Americans out of that darkness. There's no way. So we're going to lose half of them. Yeah. 10 million people are just going to be lost to be opiate addicts for the rest of their lives and whatever. So... That's the harm reduction crowd. I'm fine with it. There's 20 million opiate addicts. Not, not even, in my true, true belief, not even a tenth of them are going to get sober the way we are sober. Yeah. Not in this day and age. Not when you can go to a doctor and get Xanax because you got, you're anxious because you can't take heroin. But what is the real? I mean, but what's the real cause of like the increase? I mean, okay, now it's and a, this it's is where I'm going pharma. with this. It's big this pharma. is where I'm going with this. Our government has tried to figure out and succeeded in uh, with television, keeping people indoors, keeping people out of the streets, out out of protesting, keep them uh, sedated. You know, they have figured. Uh, they have see, figured I've never this been out. a conspiracy I, theorist. I have. I, I know I you think, are, because you got I too much time on your hands. They figured it out. <laughs> Try to get okay. you and I to agree on how to make this drug EP. You can't get a bunch of people to agree on everything. There's not conspiracies. There's just weak-willed uh, people. Really? So, so, well, here's the thing. Big Pharma can you say... you don't think that the government can... I always use the example of Coke Black. Remember Coke Black or whatever it was going to be? The new Coke. Coke well, Zero. Yeah. Co- Coke Zero, right? Yeah. If that could have taken off like gangbusters, depending on the weak-willed, feeble-minded American public, well, right? It has it? People drink Coke. Yeah, yeah, but not like they drink Coke. It didn't take off. Big pharma and the pain management kind of movement—they just threw it out there, to, and the American people had to pick it up and believe it and suck it down and and get devoured by it. It's the public. It's the addict's fault. It's not Big Pharma's fault. I just like pointing out that Big Pharma did this. They fucking did this. They threw it out there. The American government allowed Big Pharma to throw heroin out to anybody who wanted it. Yeah, understanding that it was a good idea to keep the people, to keep the masses opiated. I, I don't know that it's a conspiracy. I think that the people just don't have jobs. They don't have hope. They don't. They're not very bright, they, and so they end up taking heroin. That's different than our generation. Different, our than, generation, the crack, different than the crack, uh, the crack conspiracy, right? Where there the crack were, conspiracy was to the inner city. It definitely was. That's a different category. And they're like, okay, whoa, so wait we, a minute. This is keeping people out on the streets so all then, night long. This is bad. So, so, so then you're telling me a, a conservative Republican-controlled government wanted to anesthetize its base. Exactly. <laughs> How would they get them to vote? I don't know. How would they get them to vote? They don't think that their people are on it. They think that all the millennial liberal ones that are going to vote for are on it. But that's not who's on it. All the rest of them are. No, it's all the rest belts, all the conservative part. It's it's exactly Trump land. Trump land is where the opiate epidemic is. Ohio, Pennsylvania. They get out out on the dope. They get on the dope and they go out and vote. (laughs) Sure, why not? Get on the boat, you know. <laughs> well, they're not convicted of felonies because it's not illegal to take uh, heroin in America <laughs> anymore. 
But I just feel like, really, let's look at the problem. 20 million Americans are opiate addicts. When I'll give you an example. The 558,000 addicts that were in 1984, 85, whenever I just looked it up, and I took it off my phone. Yes. So of the 558,000, 552,000 were liberals. I guarantee you that. You think there was Republican heroin addicts in, in New York City and L.A.? No. Uh, it was all people like us. Yeah, it was. Commies <laughs> and fucking punk rockers. Yeah. Richard Hell. I mean, yeah. it was fucking artists and we're fucking gonna vote, we're gonna vote for, We're going to vote for yeah. Democrats. So, so what I'm saying is, <laughs> the, of the 20 million people that are addicted to opiates, I would say like at least half are conservative Republicans. So they're, they're on the opiates, they're at home watching Hannity, they're getting excited, they're getting all the thing, and they're they like, are, and the yeah, one thing that they're going to do, dope. man, they're going to go to work and they're to, buy their, to buy their stuff, and then they're going to vote. But I think that's why Trump and Breitbart hits that racist button, because that'll, that'll break through the opiate sedation. Because yeah. there there's a lot of racism in that white population of the Rust Belt, right? So Breitbart and Trump push that racist button, and they, you know, they don't, they feel better than, you know, other races. So then that gets them to get out and vote because they need a wall or they need. Now, this. do you think that the racist thing just happened by chance? I don't think they really pushed it. I don't think it was really like something I think they, they worked. I think Trump. I, I don't I think, think they Trump, worked on here's it. My take. I think it just. No, I think like, Trump is a racist who's been trying to hide his racism for years, and he f- he finally let it slip because you're in a 18 month primary. He let it slip, and it went well, off now, great. Okay, in his defense, most most white seven year old people are rich, racist. rich, yeah, who have never really been down with the people, who never really you know yeah. had to walk among. I don't even think among us. I don't think it most applies to race. I, I, don't I mean, think it mildly to, racist. I don't think it applies to wealth. I think it just applies to old white people are racist. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I think so my too. My dad was racist. Most of my, you know, family. You know, my auntie Abby, who I loved, said when she was older and she was living in this nursing home, I used to visit her. And she goes, Bobby, do you know one of the most, the things I look back in my life I'm most ashamed of? And I go, oh, auntie Abby, you shouldn't think about stuff like that. She was like 90. Yeah. You know what I mean? Living in this old folks home in Victorville. Yeah, yeah. And I loved her. And she was like, I want you to know that we, what we were doing we thought was right. And I was like, oh, my God, what is, where is she going with this? So she told me this story that she lived in Compton, right? Right, right. <laughs> Which is a very white suburb of Los Angeles. I, I grew up in Inglewood, was a white suburb of Los Angeles, like a white neighborhood of Los Angeles. So, so she said, when blacks started wanting to buy houses in Compton, I was a part of a movement to prevent blacks from buying homes in Compton. And I've always felt bad about that. And that was wrong that I did that. Wow. Right? Yeah. There's not a lot of people like my Auntie Abby that are going to, at 90 years old, have realized their mistakes. I don't think Trump is a ruminator on his mistakes in life. You know what I mean? No, so he's just sure. going full bore. But I think he's been hiding it all this time and it slipped out a few times and it went over really big and he knows how to read an audience sure he's so not going to alienate racism those is a part of this conservative movement there's no doubt about it and and somehow it stokes that vote so i'm trying to get back to the 20 million addicts so so half of these addicts are not in my opinion capable of getting sober not in a 21st century world where they can go to a doctor and get Suboxone or Benzos or, or they could hurt their knee and have to take opiates. There's yeah. just too many obstacles for weak-willed and feeble-minded people to get sober. Yeah, right? right okay. so, so it's the other half that can. I don't know whether it's the Republican half or the Democrat half. I, I think it's probably half and half. So only half of these opiate addicts have a chance of getting sober, right? In my opinion. Right. Okay. It's and it's a fifty-fifty shot, right? Of that fifty, of that fifty percent of the ten million people have access to care and get it. The care is so poor, right now in 2016, 15, 14, 17, You know, you Google anything that, to do with trying to find help for addiction, and you'll get put to a, a patient broker company. You know huh. what I mean? And get sold to the highest bidder. Like modern slavery, Jesus. And so, so 
right now, I see an optimistic future for those 10 million people. They need to wake up and wise up. And I hope what's gone on in 2017 is waking and wising people up. Of those 20 million people, 10 million of them have the internal mechanisms to get better. Okay. I'm saying half half don't. You're right in that so many people you meet, whether they're 20 years old or 50 years old, they're just they're I just say they're weak-willed and feeble-minded. They're just they're just not they're not Americans, in my opinion. Americans are ambitious and fucking badass and arrogant and stupid. You know what I mean? That's what I am. Yeah. That's what Americans are. These people that I meet are not like Americans. They're like you they're got like, that in France. <laughs> you know, they're they're entitled and they're self pitying and they're babies and and it's just. I'll tell you one thing that shocks other countries is how much we hate each other here. Yeah, right. I, I it shocks me. Like I'm not saying I hate the 10 million people that are weak, willed, and feeble minded. They just they just seem. Oh, it's happening in Britain they're too. Just there's weird. getting there's getting to be a completely like they they've got that whole split thing going on in Britain. But too. but it's not a split. It's it's and this tax cut is part of it. Like so there's there's whatever you want to call it. I call it the 20 percent. So there's the three percent that have all the wealth, and then there's the 17 percent of insulary people that work for those three percent. So 20% of the population makes a good living. They have good health insurance. They live good lives. They live comfortable lives. They don't worry about money. Then there's 20% that, that you know, there's systems still in place, like the longshoremen's unions and the supermarket unions, and you can get a good job, and you can buy a house, and you can have a comfortable life. Sure. That's the only part of the middle class left, people in unions. Right? Right. Then there's the, the other 60% that live in pure poverty, poverty, hand to mouth, have to work till they're 80, being a greeter at Walmart. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It's sad and fucked up. Right? Yeah, what we should have compassion for those people. They shouldn't be working at 80 years old because they can't make it on, on, on Medicare or on, on Social Security. They shouldn't be working. We shouldn't think of them as lazy or they didn't plan their money right or all this negative stuff. We crucify each other while the 20%, and I think I'm a part of that 20%, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. That like, by the 20% just live in another world from the rest of us. Like I, if, I, if I am in the 20%, I only got there the last three or four or five years. You know what I mean? I've always been in the going to work till I'm 80 crowd. Yeah. For sure. You know what I mean? And and because I'm not in a union, I, I wish I would have. You know people in unions, right? Unions are badass with pensions and shit. How did Reagan turn around that unions are bad? It's the only thing that protects the middle class. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you live in Long Beach where there's a lot of people that are in unions, right? You got the sure, longshoremen. Yeah, the longshoremen and the crane operators. And yeah, the, you know, all that. That's why Long Beach is so cool. Yeah. Well, right, I like it. People are lucky. It's a but good so, mix, international city. So what I'm fascinated by is how amongst the 60% of the poor people, yeah. they hate each other. Like because they're liberal or conservative uh, or they voted for Trump or they voted for Bush or they voted for this person or they like Hillary or they do. They're all just a part of this mass of misery. I don't see too many Republican poor people. Yeah, that's what the Rust Belt is. That's what Trumpers are. I, yeah, but that's a different. You're not poisoned, California. You're no, poisoned not, by I'm think, I'm Orange County. <laughs> Orange County is. Like, I'll do no, it again. What, All what the I'm rich saying, people in LA are liberals. All the rich people in Orange County are Republicans. I don't get it. It's only twenty miles away. I worked in Temecula for a year. Every c person who worked at the rehab had Trump stickers on their cars. I didn't want to be the token liberal that informs them, but to this one girl, I said, you know, I know you like Trump and everything, but you know if he has his way and the Republicans have their way, they're going to repeal the Parity Act and, and Obamacare and you're not going to have a job. And she goes, that's all right. I'll get a job. I was like, whoa. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> now it's in Temecula, it's in Riverside, it's San Bernardino. It's out there. Right? You just yeah. don't you don't go there. <laughs> I don't go You live there. amongst the teamsters. I see them online. <laughs> anyway, so so what I'm saying is this 20 million people, I 
maybe all of them are doomed. And I, I'm not a pessimist, but there's a lot of things working against them. They got Big Pharma want them to be on Suboxone, which basically yeah, is just right. canceling you out as a human being, in my opinion. Now, you can take a adult time out for a while. I think that's good. You know what I mean? If you're going in and out of control and you're going to you're ODing and dying and Narcan and all that shit, maybe you should take an adult time out from heroin. Yeah, right. Maybe you should have two years where you just, you know, just stay at home and watch TV. Try to grow yeah. up a little bit. That's what Suboxone is. It's an yeah, adult time out. So I see Suboxone as, as a, 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 when it's used properly, is an adult time out. You're fucking going to die, you idiot. Get on this okay. stuff and just watch TV for a while. Sit right there. I'll check back with you in some summer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's an adult timeout, or it's just a, a sentence of you're incapable of functioning. Okay. Right? That, you, know, you know what I'm saying on a certain level. It's just, you, you're, you, you just, just be on this stuff and try to get a job or whatever. Right. right. And so, so Suboxone, I don't see how it's a long-term solution, but Big Pharma wants it to be a long-term solution for all 20 million heroin addicts. Yeah. That's their goal. 20 million people that pay them 500 bucks a month? Are you fucking that's, kidding me? Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. <laughs> that's 100 million a month. Yep. No, that's a, a, a... What is it? 500 times... Wait, we've never went... We're good at math. Well, it's... Yeah, it's 200,000, 2 million. Okay, equals... dollars. One E nine. What the fuck does that mean? It's one point nine billion <laughs> a month. Yeah, a month. Yeah, dude, almost two billion dollars a month. Yeah, that's twenty four billion dollars a year for Suboxone. All right. Oh my! My hands are shaking. Yeah. Maybe it is a conspiracy. Mike. It is, man. I'm two billion dollars a month they could get. My mind just got blown right here on the podcast. So if you're home and you're a treatment professional, or you're an addiction advocate, or you're a drug addict, or you're sober, email us. Because that, Mike, Mark might have just convinced me that there is a conspiracy against the American people, that it is by Big Pharma. $2 billion a month. Yeah. Just for people to be on Suboxone because they can't stop taking heroin. That's crazy. Well, and, and the Suboxone keeps them off the street. It keeps them out of the ER rooms. It keeps them... Out of the ambulance. It's, uh, you know... Wow. Whoa. Well, you Maybe you we should that. buy... We should, you knew that, though. No, I didn't really. I didn't realize it was $2 billion. I, I didn't realize. Man, we should invest in the Suboxone company. It would be wrong. We get, we each get a thousand bucks and we'll put it in trust for the kids. Oh, Let's do just, it. Just doesn't seem right. <laughs> You're banking on misery, dude. That is crazy. Holy moly. Well, anyways, so so say that a million of them get sober. That's only five percent. That's the national standard. A million sober people. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. That so a million are gonna get sober. 10 million are going to be on Suboxone. That's a billion dollars a month the Big Pharma is going to make, right? The other 9 million are going to go back and forth and try to figure it out and try to, you know, do a lot of the things that our friends did. Sure. I have some friends that stopped doing heroin, still smoke weed every day. You know yeah. who they are. I'm not yeah, going to name them. You know who they are. Some people just can't, you know, they don't like being sober. Yes. Uh, well, like it's not it. for everybody. It's not for everybody. I mean, uh, it's for me because, and I say it all the time, I got into heroin because no one was into it. I got into it before I met you with Top Jimmy. Yeah. I was like, I want, I knew when I was 14 or 15, I want to try heroin someday. Yeah. I want, I want to try heroin. Then I met Jimmy and I, you know, and there's my access to heroin because it wasn't like you could find how to take heroin. You know what uh, I mean? In 1981. It wasn't the internet. It wasn't the internet. <laughs> there was only Tom pre, Jimmy. Pre-Google. <laughs> Pre-Google. Pre-cell phone. How do I Pre-cell phone. <laughs> yeah, video. I need a video. So Jimmy was a hero, was into heroin. He didn't do it all do the time. Do you think there's YouTube videos? 
Yeah, they help people learn how to do it safely. So when I was telling people a few weeks ago how to smoke fentanyl with the little patch. And they the, can just look it up on yeah, YouTube. They just look it up yeah, on yeah, YouTube. Yeah. Electric. Chuck was giving you shit about that. You still feel bad. I know. <laughs> you still feel I'm bad. The soft part. You are a soft-hearted guy. So so get this. So Jimmy is a guy who knows does heroin. I have to beg him like three weeks in a row to get me some. And then I did it, and it was just... But he he didn't do it all the time. He did it to you. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Never, never were gonna do it yourself. No, never. We did. We did together, and I did it. Again. You did it for me. Yeah. Everybody did it for me. I just put my arm out. So closed your it, eyes. It was a close knit <laughs> community. I did close my eyes. Yeah. It was a close knit community, and now it's mainstream America. The point is, I wanted to be a rebel. I wanted to be Top Jimmy. I wanted to be Johnny Paycheck. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be William Burroughs. I wanted to be on the outside, out there with Hunter S. Thompson and the cool people yeah. who don't give a fuck about the mainstream. Now, heroin addiction is mainstream. So I don't want nothing to do with it. It's, it's like pathetic. the afternoon cocktail. It's like, it's like listening to Depeche Mode. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Anyways, I just am optimistic about every year. I had fun in 2017. I had one of the greatest moments I have ever had. Father John Misty at Coachella playing that song, Pure Comedy. I have it on my phone. It's the most amazing thing. I videotaped it because the kids were dancing. Oh, my nice. kids were dancing. And it was just the most beautiful song, the most beautiful environment. And the guy is a genius. And it was just amazing. And now I can't find it. Holy shit. Not on here. I was going to play it for you guys. Anyways. Oh, here it is. I got well, it. I'm Listen to this. Well, that's a nice song. Look at the video of Sid dancing with Alex. Oh, that's in one of the big tents? That's outside the main stage. Oh, it's, he was on the main stage. Yeah. Oh, it must be huge. Listen to that. Stagecoach? No, Coachella. Oh. Do you so ever great. go to the stagecoach? Yeah, I go. I took Sophia to the stagecoach. I went, I went inside. Did I tell you the Merle Haggard story? I'll end with this. You know how much I love Merle Haggard. Yes. You love him, but I love him. Um, we used to listen to him every day when you were hanging out at my yeah, house. Yeah, well, you know. Every day. He was Merle Haggard, big city telling me to lose and set me free. Anyway, so I go particularly to bring Elvis to see Merle Haggard because I wanted Elvis to see all the great things sure before they die. See, you yeah. know, we went to ZZ Top. And so we're at Merle Haggard and we're on the side of the stage and this woman and this girl come up to me like a mom and daughter. And, and I could tell they know about celebrity rehab, and they're like, "Are you Dr. Drew?" And I with Dr. Drew, and I said, "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah. And they wanted to take a picture, and they had this guy taking a picture. And you know, I'm I just always like the fact that people appreciate whatever you do. So sure, exactly. Get, getting a picture taken with this woman and uh, this and her daughter. Um, I don't notice who it is taking the picture, but then I and then I notice Merle Haggard is standing waiting for them to take like like five feet away oh, and then i look at the guy taking the picture it's obviously a road manager road crew of merle haggard yeah. like one of those big tall guys with a bandana get the picture taken i'm talking to the mom and merle haggard comes over and she introduced me to her husband merle haggard! oh my god that's awesome man merle haggard wants celebrity rehab oh my god how fucking funny. crazy is that that is so good that's a life right yeah, there, baby. What a turn. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't even know what to say. Trying to help people. What the fuck? Merle Haggard watches Celebrity Rehab. I don't give a fuck if people don't like it. Merle Haggard's wife likes it. That was a good 2017 story. <laughs> that was a good way to go. I think that was in 16. Okay, well, still. But no, last year we went and saw ZZ Top, Elvis. Elvis didn't like him. I thought he would like him. No. He's like, what's what's the big of, deal? Yeah, he was like, oh, it's windy. I want to go home. Oh, uh, yeah. Windy. They don't always get it. What the fuck are you talking about? It's windy. I took my kids to see Billy Joe Schaefer, and we were just dancing and having a great time. Was it Billy windy? No, it was inside a tent <laughs> at, the, at the Coachella. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, 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 the stagecoach, I believe. Uh, Billy Joe Schaefer? I might have been at that. Uh, yeah, it was fun. So... I, so I go see the old guard, but the old guard, like I saw Flatten Scruggs, the banjo player, before he died. He died yeah. like a month later. Saw Ralph Stanley. 
he died like a month later. Like there's this whole thing at stagecoach. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> and died like, and so I saw Ray Price. He died. I saw Merle Haggard. He died. It's so sad. Maybe but. you should stop going to see these people. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but they do. But that's why I go to stagecoach because I go to see those guys. I saw Chris right. Christopherson and he didn't die. Right. Love Chris. Saw so, I mean, Lou Harris. She didn't die. Okay. Right, so there are people I do go see there. Good. Saw Dwight, he didn't die. Okay, good. So, but there are some that did die. <laughs> so, okay. So I only go, yeah, to those other two stages, the Mustang we stage. We should go to the stagecoach together this yeah, year. Yeah, I don't know who's going to be on the but second. let's go. It's who's, fun for the kids. Who's left alive? Let's look it up, and then we'll leave us with that. Let's promote stagecoach this year. Because I love uh, doing that, man. Because they got kid stuff there, you know? It's not so rad like Coachella. Saves Coach uh, 2018. Here we go. Let's see who the old guard are that, that are playing. Um, have they released it yet? Yeah, here it is. Here it is. The old, the cool old people that are playing. Ronnie Millsap. Dwight right. Yoakam's playing again. Dwight. Great. That's good. Is this the 2018 one? George, Florida, Georgia Line, Keith Urban, Garth Brooks is playing. Gordon Lightfoot's playing. Oh my God. Oh my God. I didn't even we're know you alive. Going, we're definitely. Jesus, Mike. He's going to die right after. Right after we see, see him. It. Let's go see him. I don't really care Dude, about Gordon Lightfoot. The, this is always, I always go to the second stage. So Gordon Lightfoot, Kenny Rogers is playing. What song did Gordon Lightfoot sing? Um, Tell me one. Don't let the sun go the sun, sun down. You oh. better take care because you don't. Dun, 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 dun. <sighs> you don't know who Gordon Lightfoot I is? I know who he is, but I never listened to him and I never liked him. Okay, so Gordon Lightfoot and Kenny Rogers is the gambler. You got to go see that. Uh, again, I don't know. Just take your love. Really wants to take your love to town. I'd rather see Dolly Parton, but sure. Okay, then Dwight Yoakam is playing again. Ronnie Millsap. Jason Isbell is good. You heard of him? Yeah. He's good. He's the only new person type person that I would want to see. Are you sure that's 2018? Yeah, it's 2018. And then first night, Molly Hatchet's playing. Oh, that's going to be. That's going to be stupid. The, the Georgia Satellites are playing. See, I always love these that's second stages. And then, uh, oh, your guy is playing Coachella that, you, that your uh, daughter's like. Did you go see it yet? Wait a minute. You mean Declan McKay yeah, 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 yeah. is playing Coachella? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we have to go. I know, but. I've got her tickets for, yeah. Are you going to go to that? Tanya Tucker's playing. Stagecoach, Tanya Tucker. You're kidding me. No. That'll be great. So, Maybe she'll choose. So somebody. here's the funny thing about Stagecoach. I never. Like I know Keith Urban, I like I like I just like him personally, but I don't ever know who the headlines are. One is Florida Georgia Line, never I have heard no of idea. it. Never heard of it. Kelsey country. Ballerini, never heard of her. New country. Jake Owen, never heard of him. But the old people, Molly Hatchet, Tanya Tucker. Tell me, uh, Chris Stapleton's playing, man. Um, no, Jason Isbell, Casey Mosgroves, the brothers Osborne, Keith Urban, Trisha Yearwood, Garth Brooks, Lee Bryce, Brett Young, just, oh, Lucas Nelson and uh, Willie Nelson's son and the Promise of the Real, that, that band's playing. So anyways, we're going to Stagecoach to see Gordon Lightfoot, Kenny Rogers, Dwight Yoakam, Ronnie Millsap, Tanya Tucker, and Molly Hatchett. That's Tanya. a fucking weekend right there, my friend. Tanya Tucker, is she still wild and crazy? I, I doubt it. I doubt it. That's going to be old, man. Like, she's not like the gun-toting no, she's Tanya not 19 Tucker. 19 dating Glenn Campbell. Yeah. What a rock. I saw Glenn Campbell at Stagecoach. Or maybe oh. at Coachella. Yeah. Anyway, so Stagecoach and Coachella are coming. Get your tickets. It's really fun. The, I'll tell you, I go to both usually. Let me tell you something. Coachella, you see nothing but Raiders and Dodgers gear. If you sure. see sports gear, it's Raiders, Dodgers only. Yeah. That's it. There's no fucking... Denver Broncos. No California Angels. Right. Right? The fucking stagecoach, all Angels. All really? Angels. Yeah. It's so oh, weird, yeah. the difference. It's only 20 down. miles just down the 5 freeway from one of the leading epicenters in the world, Los Angeles... And no Orange Dodgers. County. 
no Dodger shirts. <laughs> There's Dodger shirts not at not at stagecoach. No. no. I'm gonna wear my Dodger gear yeah, to stagecoach. That's a good idea. All right. Well, should we see Garth Brooks? I've always I wanted to know. see him, kind of. But let's go. That'll be fun. We'll go to Sagecoach. Let's see what day it is. You should get your tickets and see us meet us down there. We should, and you should, we you should, should do a have, podcast you know from there. We should. From Can our, you do it? I don't know. We could try from a hotel room or something. No, from the place. <laughs> from you the know place. who does it? Mojo Nixon does it. Uh, we could do it. I could get if, if yeah, we, get a portable if, thing, if and we we're gonna do it, if we could get our stuff in. Oh, I'll get it in. We're gonna do a podcast from Stagecoach, not That'll Coachella. Awesome. Coachella is too weird. Stagecoach. That'll be great. That'll be great. So it's uh, April's twenty seventh, April twenty seventh, twenty eighth, and 29th. I'm okay. going. We're going. All right. All right, see have you guys great, next time. Happy great, New Year. Happy New Year. Have, have a great 2018. It's going to be a good year, I just like 2017 so was a good year. Come on, people. I so can't believe I lived this long. I know. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to make it past, like, 1993 was a rough year. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to make it out of there. All right, people. Have see a good you later. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.